This week on Waxing the Porpoise, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve take a casino floor detour and play with house money while reviewing the 1998 deep cut Croupier. Join us as we pick apart the film to see if it passes Steve's authenticity check, endure G-Baby lusting after a certain South African babe, and speculate as to whether Clive Owen is in fact playing an Amish man. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Let's wax his salon privé porpoise. get sour on some krauts um <clears throat> all right so uh welcome to waxing the porpoise uh we're here back again i think fuck is this episode 33 now i believe it is Ooh, put me on the spot i'm not positive yeah th- i'm be- pretty sure it is yeah i think it is okay yeah these past couple of weeks just fucking ran together for me but uh we we had plan. I had I should have double checked on this, but I, we had grand plans of having uh, our mutual friend Richard on to to go over his uh, life story in in volumes. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be, <laughs> but um, he needs a little bit more time, so we had to come up with another audible this week. And Steve, you had mentioned something about like a gambling anecdote, or where where um, where was this? did start did this start from and how it attached to croupier yeah and i don't know if it's croupier or croupier i feel like they pronounced it several they did ways. both ways and i told myself i was like okay i'm gonna go with croupier because it sounds more refined and of course i just went right into the english I croupier e- i don't even remember how you said it or how i said it but um yeah. it, it's kind of a funny story how this movie came up um a former coworker of ours shimmy I ran into him uh, in town and uh, there's this big city park in the city where I live. And so I was <laughs> going around there and he was going around there and I saw him said hi and he showed me his phone and he was listening to our, our podcast while he was out <laughs> nice. like walking his dog and his kid. <laughs> he was just waxing Sweet. his porpoise right there in public and <laughs> So we got to talking and, and he recommended this movie and ideally I, I actually wanted to have him on to talk about it, but then we kind of had to pull this audible at the last second. So uh, maybe we could have him on to talk about something else, but yeah, he was like, you've got to, you've got to watch this movie just kind of knowing stuff that I like and he's listened to a bunch of the episodes. So yeah, it was just funny when he turned his phone, he's like, check it out, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. Hell yeah. 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 I saw he just, he friended the show, uh, the oh, show's nice. Instagram page. So I was like, Oh, sweet. I didn't know he was still in town. I thought he had moved to like Seattle or something, but any hoodles. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Jimmy for the, uh, uh, recommendation. Cause yeah, we were kind of like, uh, shit, what should we do? We got to grab something quick cause we got to record. And this is one too. I've, I've seen it, you know, you know, talked about. And, uh, I think this is kind of Clive Owens claim to fame. 
or at least one of his earlier roles that was uh that got him noticed and so i just knew it from that and that it the movie itself was good and had wanted to check it out but just never had i didn't know that i didn't even know what the fucking term croupier mean meant and i didn't know that it was so um like it takes place within the casino and that kind of like subculture in the world so if i would have known that i i would have jumped on that too given your perspective too so i feel like this one's gonna kind of be like a hybrid episode kind of like talking about that and then wanting to pick your brain on like you know how is is does this jive with what you've seen in like the professional or the advantage kind of uh perspective you have um before we get going uh, to you got myself uh, tonight, Jim G. Baby. G-Funk. And of course, we have, as always, the usual suspect, Steve. You ungrateful he bitch. <laughs> How's One it going, time, man? I dropped a, a cigar ash on Antoine's carpet. He made me pick it up <laughs> with my anus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Set don't him make up, me knock him down. Don't make me he bitch man slap you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello, just circling back for one quick story that about our mutual friend Shimmy, which always makes me laugh. And I think it was so funny that I temporarily had blacked it out of my mind because I was reminded of it later, and I had no memory of it until the story was f- told more fully. And I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I remember that. So. Uh, me and my buddy Josh went out to play golf one day just as a twosome. And if, for those that are unfamiliar, uh, they'll usually send you out in groups of four. So if you go out with two, sometimes they'll pair you with another random two people. Not a big deal. It happens all the time. So Josh and I went out to play golf. They paired us with two other guys. And when I looked over, I realized, oh, that's our buddy Shimmy and his friend who I, I didn't know who he was. His friend was kind of a douche, to be honest. Like, giving unsolicited golf advice in the middle of a round, which is kind of like a no-no. And Josh could tell that, because I I try to keep it pretty cool. Like I don't usually blow up on people, but he could tell because he knows me really well that I was getting a little more agitated. So we're, we're playing this round of golf and we get to the 17th hole out of 18. And I hit my drive off the fairway to the right. So I just need to like hit it back into the fairway. And this guy, this friend of Shimmy, decided that in the middle of the golf course was a great place to stop and just take a piss. It's not like on the perimeter of a golf course, there might be woods where you could just kind of like scurry over and and take a piss. This was like in the middle of the golf course, there's like a tree and he just sidles up to it and starts pissing. And so I'm over on the right side of the, uh, off the fairway. I hit the ball and it is a fucking missile and it is (laughs) heading, it is heading right for him. And it's like the the Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, I was going to say four, but I was too busy mumbling. There's no way it's going to hit that guy. (laughs) And so like, I'm just watching this absolute nuke go right towards him. And so it's either me or Josh or Shimmy yelled like, Hey, heads up or whatever. But this guy was mid piss with his pants, like around his uh, thighs. So all he could do is just slightly bend forward and this ball drilled him square in the back. <laughs> he was a good sport about it. He just laughed, and the other the other three of us were just dying laughing. Like, 
that's the most inopportune time to be like, hey, look out. He couldn't move. Otherwise, he just would have pissed all over himself. And he just, yeah, <laughs> he took it square the, in the back. In the spine. Dude, just off to the, off to the side. And I, I felt like it was deserved. So, <laughs> yeah, so, Whoops. so funny. To th- like the, the picture of that. I don't know how I forgot about it for a year, but then Josh was like, remember when you, you hit that guy in the back? I'm like, what? No, I have no memory of that at all. And then he told me the story. I'm like, oh, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> Sorry to derail. Get the fuck back! <laughs> Sorry to derail, as always, but. No, that's good. Um, life finds a way. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, glad to hear. Shimmy's a fan of the show and uh yeah, shouts outs again too for uh recommending Croupier. So yeah, this is uh this is what we audible to and I so I had never seen this, uh as I alluded to, you had never seen this, Steve. Never um, saw it, never heard of it, had never even heard that term. Are you familiar with um our main protagonist, uh Jack Manfred, played by uh, Clive Owen. Yes. Uh, and are I, you a I, fan? Uh, yeah, I like him. I'm, I was trying to think other than Sin City. Sin City. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the most prominent thing I can think of. And as this movie goes along with the kind of sort of dark internal dialogue thing, I was like, wow, this is actually kind of similar to Sin City in that way. Yeah. Like the split personality thing. Yeah. You could totally see why like someone would be like, even besides that, that fun nugget, but like, just like his acting presence, I feel mm-hmm. like too. Um, I did like him a lot as, in Sin City as well as what's his name? Dwight, I think. Uh, I don't remember. Whatever. Yeah. He's, he's dope in Sin City. I also, I like him a lot, probably more than anything else I've seen him in is, have you ever seen Children of Men? No, I've heard good things, but I've never seen it. Oh man. That would be a good one actually to cover on this one day because it's definitely, it's not talked about enough. I don't think, I think it just kind of got lost in the glut of like mid to late two thousands kind of films. And it just didn't, I don't think it's given enough. It's not associated with enough reverence. I don't think to, to match like what it did. It's sort of dystopian future. People can't have kids anymore or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's like like no, it's not like a bummer message movie, is it? No, no, it doesn't get too. Uh, it's not pro- proselytizing, uh, and it's not like what? <laughs> beating you. Is is that how you say that word? What is that? Proselytize. Proselytize. Yeah, okay. you had it. Okay. Yeah, it's not like yeah, it's not preaching. It's not beating you over the head with it. It's like to me, it like even as as the years go by, it's to me, it's it's becoming more and more prescient and like. Uh, like they were onto something uh, because it seems like the kind of, it's not one of these over the top dystopian things. It's like, I could see that being realistic, you know, like maybe besides the whole, like there's no women left on the world and like people can't all of a sudden no one can is bear uh, a female child. That's the most sci-fi, but everything else, like the the way the world feels and like, just like uh, tensions, like on a global scale, but um, yeah, that's a really good one. It's the opposite of Jurassic Park. Right. 
life doesn't find a way. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um, Speaking of yeah. w- words, gambling-related words that I've never heard of, uh, I'm wondering if you have ever heard gamblers referred to as punters before. No, and I, this was on my notes too to ask you. I was wondering if you heard it. Um, oh yeah, I had never, he- I had never heard that term before. It's funny so that's how- one that transcends like uh, borders. Yes, and okay, it, I think it's like the word cunt, where <laughs> it's so like when it's used in the context I'm familiar with it, it's used in a pretty derogatory way. Like this guy's just out here punting his fucking money away, you know. Whereas in this movie, it's sort of like. Mr. Son of a Beach, let's play some cards. Almost an endearing term for just gambler, where I I give it more of a connotation of degenerate gambler, you know, idiot, just somebody who's willingly just giving their money away for no reason at all. So, yeah, that was was funny. I didn't realize that was a pretty universal term. I kind of thought that was more like an inside term that just like advantage player people use to refer to um, regular gamblers. There's another term that I hear card counters use, which it just makes my skin crawl because it sounds so dumb and it's a ploppy. It's people who just like plop, plop down and give them, but it just sounds so dumb. I've never liked using. Yeah. I've never used it, but oh yeah, check out (laughs) fucking ploppies over here. It just sounds so childish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple things. I'm here. Since we're on the top, topic of uh, terminology, I meant to fucking look this up. Uh, but at the beginning when they're giving uh, our friend Jack, um, who again is played by um, Clive, Clive Owen, Owen, they're giving him the tour around. And then he asks like the the casino manager, uh, do you have a salon privé? Do you know yeah. what that is or did you look it up? Yeah. What the fuck is that? Like um, a high roller area? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a high limit. Um, It's like a VIP section. Gotcha. I should have inferred that. I've only ever heard that uh, in relation to foreign casinos, right? Obviously, because it's like a French term. But yeah, in the States, Mm -hmm. it would be like a high limit room or like a VIP, whatever. But uh, yeah. So like... um... Like I'm picturing like Monaco or something, and they yeah exactly salon is like this fucking like Monte Carlo crazy yeah. yeah super high minimums. Okay. You probably have your own waiter or server or whatever. One thing I know that if any card counter was watching this movie, they would be a huge fan of is the fact that tipping is not allowed in these casinos because mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest frustrations if you're any gambler really, but especially if you're a card counter or advantage player of any kind are these fucking dealers who are just tip hustlers and they'll go from being super nice and friendly to super dickheaded if you're not tipping them all the time. So uh, to actually not be able to tip them would be such a, such a dream. So in the States, that's a thing like you can, they, they oh. do accept tips. Yeah, so it's just the UK that I guess, like I don't even Weird. know if that's, accurate still or if it was then or or what but um it's smart because uh one of the things we can get into unrelated to the movie is this idea of collusion between a player and a dealer so i guess mm-hmm. we, i guess we could just get into this thing real quick because there's there's a uh 
a, a clear distinction between what is completely lawful or legal or uh, con- conforming to the rules, which would be like advantage play opportunities. Then there's straight up cheating. And then mm-hmm. there's a there's a gray area in between which people usually refer to like angle shooting or playing an angle. So for example, uh, perfectly legal advantage play opportunities are like counting cards. Or if a dealer accidentally shows you their face down card, you're just, you're using the information that anybody else at the table has access to. You're not cheating in any way. You're, you're only using your mind to gain an advantage over the casino. Cheating like black and white cheating would be, uh, in this case, the guy who adds chips to the roulette board after, right. you know, or uh, after the result of a hand happens, you you either pinch money off your stack or you cap money onto your stack if you won or, or lost, obviously. Right. Um, that's straight up cheating. You'll you'll get arrested. No question about it. There's a there's a weird gray area in between called angle shooting where um, like let's say you have a sixteen versus a dealer ten and you you make like a, a hit signal and, and they give you a hand and you bust it and you say, oh no, I didn't I didn't want a card. I was just like I, I was just kind of fidgeting my hand. It's not cheating. <laughs> it's not cheating Aww. per se. And they'll usually give you one of those. And they'll say, Yeah, okay. So that's like fine. a mulligan. You can't that's not something that you can like But if like, you get a exploit. reputation for that, you it you're not going to last very long. And like the roulette example in, in the movie where the guy does, he straight up cheats by putting the bet too late. Right. They, they let him like, okay, we're, we're going to pay you on this one, but you can't come back here anymore. I've seen a lot of people do it on uh, insurance at blackjack, which if you're unfamiliar, when a dealer's showing an ace, they'll offer insurance to the table where you can put up half your bet. If the dealer has blackjack, you get paid two to one. So you get your money back, blah, blah, blah. If, if you're interested, you already know. So, but <laughs> almost nobody ever takes insurance. So it's usually just a quick formality for the dealer. They'll be like, insurance open, insurance closed. And then they'll check. And then if they have a face card underneath or a 10, they'll flip it over. And sometimes you'll see people like, wait, I was going to get insurance. And the dealer's like, well, you've been sitting here for 11 hours in a row. And I haven't seen you take insurance one time. And you don't even know how to play properly, so I find that highly unlikely. So then they'll call the right. pit boss over, and the pit boss will usually be like, "Okay, fine. You, I believe you that you wanted to buy insurance." If if they don't go to the camera and see like, "Oh, you didn't, whatever." Um, so that's that's the kind of gray area in between which we call angle shooting, where it's like you're not really breaking the rules, but you're you're walking a fine fucking line mm-hmm. by trying to. Uh, manipulate the casino into, into allowing you to get away with something. Then on a, those on methods a, don't even seem like they'd be worth it. Like no, it no, and it's a very very short term thing yeah. that will burn your ass long term. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> in a in a similar vein is so to circle back to the tipping dealers and why it's a good thing that they're not allowed to is this idea of collusion where. Uh, in a in an industry like dealers where they're so tip reliant, there's an incentive for them to potentially cheat for the player, right? right? They don't give a shit about the casino because the more the player wins, the more likely they are to get tips. If a guy sits down with 10 grand and the dealer completely clears him out, that person's not going to tip him his last 10 bucks as he walks away from the table. So yeah. 
the dealers usually want the players to win because it's it's more likely to result in a tip for them. So there's this temptation with de- with dealers to maybe right. allow players to get away with um, maybe seeing information they shouldn't or yeah. like in the old in the old days you would manually peek underneath an ace to see if you have a blackjack or not and there are there are tells that you can covertly give the player if it's a like a good card or a bad card if it's not a face card right so right. uh this idea of coll- players colluding with dealers is really dangerous because sometimes dealers will do it without you prompting them at all you know cuz you can see players that are like oh are you feeling lucky or um anything good under there or you know you'll see them trying to fish for information or offered mm-hmm. a tip for whatever but then every once in a while you'll see a dealer who will um they'll do something proactively that you know they're doing to help you in an effort to get a tip back and mm-hmm. if, if that ever happens get up and walk away because if the casino catches on to what you're doing they won't know that you are an innocent party who just happens to be sitting there. They're going to think right. you're in on it. So right. yeah, uh, all that is a long way of saying, I think it's a good thing when dealers aren't allowed to take tips, not only because I hate tipping, but uh, it, it disincentivizes them from potentially cheating. Right. Th- then again, just to give a quick devil's advocate on the other side, um, if, if dealers are incentivized by players winning, then they're, they're going to want the players to win and they're going to be happier about it. Whereas I've, I've found a lot of dealers that are like Clive Owen in this movie who genuinely get joy out of watching people lose. They don't give a fuck about tips. They're shitty people. So they're probably not getting a lot of of money and tips. So Mm -hmm. they, they love it. They love watching players bust out and then leave. And they'll even say smart ass shit to them when, when somebody loses all their money and gets up and leaves, they'll be like, thanks for playing. Or just have some smart ass little comment. <laughs> those those are the types of dealers I want to go uh, over the fucking table at and get uh, get sideways on someone. <laughs> the widowmaker. Changing five hundred. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting that that you brought that up because I was like, yeah, this is like. <clears throat> the total flip side of like a rounders or like, you know, taking it from the, he, he, he's not playing it so much like one of these hero to me, at least not like, he's not like a hero dealer or on the side of the casino. He's just like, he's found like, cause before he gets back into this, uh, working as a croupier, it's almost like, uh, you know, he's been clean like mm-hmm. from drinking or drugs or something. And he's brought back into this world, but it's not anything like, uh, you know, he's not like joining a gang or he's doing this one last score. It's he's like, he's going back to work an honest job at a casino being a dealer. But, and then once he actually starts doing it, you know, he comes back from his first shift and he's like shaking and he's talking yeah. about, he talks about how much I really, I, I enjoy seeing people lose. Uh-huh. So that's like the, the flips, the dark side of, you know, the upstanding, you know, person that's not cheating, that's going into his job and he's being a professional But on the, on the inside that like, kind of like sociopath or psychopath aspect of him. Um, is deriving pleasure from it just the same way. Like, you know, someone gets a rush from winning a hand, like risking big and it coming Mm -hmm. back, you know, for them, 
positively. I thought that was an interesting, you know, yin and yang to this. Yeah. So I originally had thought, okay, this guy is an ex-gambler going back into the industry on the other side. But Oh, yeah, good point. But as the movie went on, uh, I did not think that anymore because, well, I'm sure you've, you've heard the expression card shark before. Yeah, and they use sharp you, in this. Have, yeah, so I don't know if many people have heard that expression card sharp. And as the movie went on and most decidedly when he rigs that home game that they're playing, uh-huh. I think I think his past was of a mechanic, which is a, a term used to describe a cheating dealer, which at the very end, uh. he, he sort of winks at the camera and is like, well, now I'm just back to fucking being a cheating dealer and not giving a fuck about it. Um, yeah. When the, they when hinted the, that too, cause his dad's a shyster, you know? So he probably yeah. was brought, he, like his dad showed him all those tricks and like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a good point. That last, the last part where the, the ball lands on the green zero on the roulette wheel and he just clears everybody else's bets. Like, whoops, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> he got so much joy out of that. Yeah. If there's, you know, I meant to look this up cause I couldn't remember the guy's name, but there are some really impressive mechanics out there, which, like I said, there there are people who can do things with decks of cards that you would not, you wouldn't believe. Like, yeah. Um, and one of them, this guy has been doing it for years. He's blind, so he'll take a deck of cards, and for example, he'll like hand it to you and be like, shuffle it up however you want, okay, and then. Give it back to me. And he's fucking blind. So he's just kind of doing the Stevie Wonder, like looking all around the room. And mm-hmm. so he's like shuffling it, just shuffling it. And he's like, okay, what, what game do you want this to be? Hold him or, or whatever. So the, the person, the volunteer, and this is a real volunteer. He did this. He's done this in public a, a million times, but this one I think happened to be at like an MIT college course. And he's like, oh, so you want to do hold him? Okay. Um, how many players do you want there to be at the table? Four, okay, fine. Uh, which position do you want to be sitting at? Three, great. And so then he'll deal the game just like he's dealing a normal game. And that person will get like pocket aces and then like ace, ace, king on the flop. And, you know, he can rig these games seemingly impossibly. Mm-hmm. And he's fucking blind. His name is Richard something. And there was a there was a documentary. <sighs> God, I can't remember. That sounds the guy's nuts. Name. Yeah. So, but uh, an interesting part about this guy's past is, I mean, it's kind of just like a recreational hobby for him. You know, like, hey, check out this cool shit I can do. Um, right. I can't remember who it was. It was like the Sultan of Brunei, or you know, some huge head of state overseas, sat in on like a demonstration just to see what he could do. And I, oh, I'm sure I'll get the details wrong. But this guy was like, I will give you a billion dollars if you come back home with me and deal at my casino because this guy is, he's essentially an ATM, right? He can rig every single game <laughs> right. to where, you know, and yeah, he says, he says he never took anybody up on these offers, but um, you could see where that would be such a valuable skill to have. Yeah. Speaking of this guy, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Ricky J. Rest in peace. Ricky he's, Zay. Yeah, he's uh he's a magician, uh 
I think he he's like an old school style ma- magician. I think he died a few years ago. I think if you saw him, you'd be like, "Oh, this guy." But he does some insane shit with um cards, like dealing, like there's this one trick that he does. It's like 5 minutes long uh in a and I don't know what the name of the game is, but like he has a full deck and he like he shuffles it, does all this crazy shit, and then he has it all in his hand and he lines them out. He goes like he goes like um, ace to king in every suit all in a row mm-hmm. but in between all that he's doing all this weird cardistry shit that's uh-huh. I'm like every time I watch it it like blows my mind it's like he, he and he does a bunch of cool shit like that like that this blind guy does like just having like an impossible sense or like feel like, or he's done this so many times, maybe like each card, he just knows where it's at, like uh, in the deck. And he, he's just so comfortable with, with all these moves and all the, the different variations that shit blows my mind. Like even before you get to like David Blaine level stuff, but just like the real tactile, like mm-hmm. craftsmanship, like mastery of a skill of a thing just with 52 cards, like some of that shit is wild. Uh, like super, like it, there's gotta be such an Im- intense amount of like memorization and like math and all those things all rolled up into one. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I can't wrap my head around it, but so um, the, the guy's name before I forget, uh, his, I just had to look it up real quick. So I guess I wouldn't be forgetting it. His name's Richard Turner. Uh, he had a documentary back in 2017. It's called Delt. And I think he does like motivational speaking, sort of mixed with demonstrations of all the crazy shit he can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if anybody's interested, crazy, crazy guy, very cool story. And like he talks about, you know, he can pick up a deck of cards, split it in half and, and feel it and be like 24, like 24 cards, you know, like the, the, the feel like the tactile like you're talking about of knowing yeah. exactly how many cards are in each hand. And also when you shuffle them, knowing exactly that you're going one of each side, every one. So yeah. like there are guys out there who can do shuffle tracking and that, that skill is unfathomable to me, how they can yeah. keep track of stuff and keep the, it that precise every time. They're yeah. moving the cards around in their hand. Yeah, just it seems like so ridiculous. Like it's so the margin for error is so fucking tiny. You know, like mm-hmm. you have to be like on perfect every time. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, I wanted to get into this movie a little bit and and try and, and tie back questions to this and bring it in because we're kind of I think we're going in on almost thirty five minutes. Um, so just to get like, you know, what the story is out of the way, because I think, I think there is some really interesting things going on in this film. And, uh, so just a, a real quick baseline and we'll kind of, and then we can kind of just potpourri around it. But so we center on Clive Owen, um, who in a past life, he was like maybe one of these mechanic people. He's just like, he knows how to deal cards, like any game, like look, looks like roulette, blackjack is a strong suit. Um, he's a down and out or, you know, aspiring writer is what he really wants to do. Um, but he's kind of floundering. So his, 
his pops actually hits him up and is like, I got you a line on a, on a job being a croupier or croupier, which that part was interesting too, because that part with the dad also made me think of Deuce Bigelow when the dad's like, it shows him talking on the phone. He's like, Hey, I got you this job lined up. I know the boss go here, go check it out. And he's wearing, you know, just like, you know, a button up and some slacks. And it looks like he's taking a call from like a, like a nice resort or something, you know, like he owns the place. He's like, yeah, I just started a new business. And then when he gets off the phone, it shows the dad walk around and then he puts on his, like his service coat and he's a bartender. <laughs> he's like, what would you like, miss? It reminded me of that part in Deuce Bigelow when the dad comes to the dinner table to see Rob Schneider and his date. And, he's, and uh-huh. it seems like he like owns the place or he's like uh-huh. the head chef or something. And, uh, and then the bot, like the maitre d' <laughs> comes over. He's like, Hey man, someone blew up the fucking toilet. Really disgusting shit show in there. And it turns out, yeah, his dad's just like a lowly janitor at this super ritzy place where he has to wear like a tuxedo. I'm up to my ankles in human shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. And then when they go in there to give him his little birthday cake and he's yeah, plunging the-, <laughs> the toilet and then he stops to take like a finger full of cake barehanded. Yeah. He's like, oh, raspberry babinka. Yep. This is my favorite. <laughs> Dude, that was uh, yeah, so good. Yeah. I thought that was a fun little tie back. Uh, Uh, okay, cool. Bumps aren't working again. You fucking asshole. Son of a bitch, these dolphins. Um, where was I at? Uh, origin, origin Uh, unknown, father of also unknown origin. Yes. Um, they do, they do allude to this guy. He's either South Africa or yeah, he is. He grew up in South Africa. Um, so he's got kind of like a, a, a funky accent thing going on. Uh, I don't know if he really nails the South African uh, <laughs> accent, but anyway, um, so he gets into this casino world and it's, he's, he's got this quasi weird relationship with his like living girlfriend. Um, and then the casino shit starts, like we alluded to, it starts kind of taking over his life. Like he gets a taste for it again. Um, and then there's this wild card femme fatale, uh, Yanni, who comes into the picture and things kind of start spiraling into, uh, like, does he go along with, uh, like a kind of a heist deal where he, where he's kind of sitting on the sidelines. He just has to do his job, make sure this heist goes off without a hitch in, in the, in the background, but he doesn't have a lot of risk in that, um, which that's kind of going off into a tangent, but anyway, he goes through with it. I don't know. I guess I'll just leave it there. That's kind of our, our skeleton framework of this film. And then we'll, we'll delve into it a little bit further. So one question I have to you right off the bat was, did you like this film overall? I did. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, for a good portion of it, I was thinking this movie was creeping higher and higher on my uh, gambling, like favorite movie list, you know, sort of creepily sneaking up on rounders, which I think is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt a little, I felt a little underwhelmed when everything was said and done because I thought the premise was so good that they could have done more with it. But that, that being said, I, I did like it a lot. There was a lot of, there was a lot about it. I liked, there was only a few things that were 
I felt like unnecessarily confusing or just irrelevant. Uh, but I did like, I did enjoy his uh, moral compass because he, he sort of calls that dude out for cheating and he's like, I, I really don't care, but if you get caught and they know that I know I could lose my job, but then he doesn't drop the dime on the Asian guy who he says he knows is counting. So yeah, I thought that part was interesting too. Yeah. So he kept his goddamn mouth shut, which I, I appreciate. Uh, there was also prior to Yanni crazy South African bitch who comes in, uh, is, Dude, by is the that, way, smoke show. Yeah. Hmm. In a weird I'm, way. I, something. Yeah. I, I think it's the curly hair and the lips and like, I don't know, dude, she had a, she had something going on that like entranced me. So, uh, I do have to admit one of my biggest judgmental things is I hate fucking curly hair. I, <laughs> I you couldn't, you could not name me one female on earth that has super curly hair like that, that I find attractive. It's just, it's just not my thing. I don't know what it is. It just seems, it seems like a lot. Um, but there's the scene where the guy he busts for cheating and gets thrown out of the casino. He waits for him outside. They fight. And that Bella gal gives him a ride home. And then they have one of the weirdest fucking like initiating of a love scene I've ever seen where she's like, oh, your shoulder's yeah. messed up. And then he just like pounces on her like a leopard. Yeah. Like that is, that's what we call a high risk move. You know, you <laughs> You've got to, yeah. you have got to know she's going to be into it because you basically just threw her on the ground and got on top of her. And that was, that was the first thing in the movie where I was like, whoa, what the fuck? This sort of came out of nowhere. And yeah, I wasn't expecting that. It felt, it definitely had, it was, it was rapey. It was a rapey move for sure. Um, it almost, it reminded me kind of, of the weird robotic mechanical, uh, interaction between Harrison Ford and Sean Young in Blade Runner. He fucks a washing machine. Yeah. I Do you remember that? Like, no, not not particularly. In that episode you were like uh you were like, yeah, he gets pretty handsy with Sean Young. He's like this is happening. Yeah, my my brain like a hard drive probably as soon as that movie was over and after that episode was over immediately marked that space available to be rewritten. Like defragged yeah i did not did not really need uh <laughs> to retain that but there was a, one of my favorite lines of dialogue is when uh bella for some for reasons unknown gets fired she seems to think it's jack that dropped the dime on her not really sure why they didn't really explain anything else about that but then she comes to his apartment and I should have written down what her line was but it was super funny she's like your boyfriend fucked me and smoked my weed and then called the shop on me or, you know, got me fired. Yeah. And took, took me to the shops. And he's like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Just that look on his face. Like, uh, yeah, it was like, uh, he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I've never I s- didn't. I didn't do all three of those things. <laughs> I only, I only did two of them. Which they, which, they use this, which two would make you least upset. Yeah. <laughs> They use that slang term again, and it's not. I guess it's just like you know, dropping a dime on someone, like yeah. like took them to the shops. Yeah, his his um 
his weird, ambiguously attractive girlfriend wife Marion uses that threat against him later. Like, I'll shop you. Yeah. It made me think of that. Remember he used to play the streets? Yeah. That, that one line was like, Oh yeah. Then I'll stop and go and get chips and drinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you used to love that shit. <laughs> uh Times. Uh, one other fun. I did one, not. I did not like his girlfriend, the Marion character. I was pretty, pretty cold. She seemed like a real dead fish. Yeah, I thought she was cute, but I a, there was just something about like her character that just was sort of grating. Yeah. Um. But the uh, the scene early on where the woman comes in and is playing roulette, and she puts even sized stacks on black and red. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is unfamiliar, those bets pay one to one. So if you put a hundred on one and a hundred on the other, you, that's a that's a net even payout, unless the zero hits and then you lose both. But what they're they're alluding to is money laundering. So she comes in, right. puts in two hundred dollar bet, wins one, loses the other. So they pay her out. It's an even money exchange, and then she goes and cashes in. Um, right. And I, I have seen stuff like that in the casino, and it's funny because the casinos know it's happening. They don't; they pretend like they care, but I think it's just because they have to report suspicious activity. But otherwise, mm-hmm. they don't give a shit because for that one hand where she came in to play, she's still gambling, so mm-hmm. it, it's a customer for them. So I may have I may have told the story on the the card counting episode, but it was the, it was the most egregious example of this I've ever seen where this guy came into a casino and it was a $5 minimum table and he bought in for something crazy, like $2,000 and he, <laughs> and he got $1,900 of that in black, which are $100 chips. So he's got 19 black chips and then he gets $100 and red chips, which are $5 chips, which is the table minimum. He sits down and he, oh God, he bought in with all 20s, which took forever because they line right, out. they got to count it all out. Well, yeah. they line out five vertically, five 20s. And then I think like five laterally. So what would that be? 500. So. So they lay out 520s on the table. They take the pen, the fraud pen. They go over every bill to make it right. The pit boss has to confirm this amount. Then they scoop it all up, jam it into the drop box, and then they they repeat the process until it gets up to his 2,000. He plays, and that process literally took 20 minutes for some god unknown reason. So he finally buys in. And I'm like, it was me and one other person at the table and we're just sitting there staring at him. Like, are you, are you for real? Like, is this, is this real life? You're really doing this right now? He plays three hands at $5 a hand. And then is like, all right, well, you know, and gets up and walks straight to the cashier and cashes out his $2,005 or $1,995, whatever it was. Yeah. And I look at, and I look at the dealer and I was like, do you know this guy? Like, is he a regular or is he like just a whack job? She's like, I don't know, but he's obviously just cleaning his money. Like, Oh, okay, cool. And she's like, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll follow him or, you know, make a note of who he is. Like, Oh, okay, cool. 
But yeah, in this movie, it made it seem like that the manager was like maybe in on something or like maybe he's getting a cut and he's letting it slide. This is like, you know, very yeah. well could be. I mean, I that's I what the want... insinu- insinuation I got was. And he gives her this smile like it's just like, you know, like a courtesy thing like she's in every other Thursday. Yeah. And I, I would never be one to give somebody advice on how to money launder. But uh, <laughs> in, a hy- in a hypothetical situation. The the problem with what this guy was doing was his human interaction, right? That dealer right. is now taking note of, whoa, this is unusual. What is this person doing? Maybe I'll decide to tell somebody. Maybe I won't. Um, they have these things in casinos that are called slot machines. So if you wanted to, if one person wanted to, they could go in with $1,000 in cash, put 10 $100 bills into a slot machine that now shows up as $1,000 credit. Then they can yeah. hit, I don't want to play anymore. And then here comes a ticket for $1,000. You take that to the cage. All they see is the fucking ticket for $1,000. Right. They don't. So, yeah, if one were so inclined, I mean, that would be the smarter way to do it. So it really does, it really does just go to show the, the people who get caught committing these crimes are usually the dumbest right. people committing these crimes, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, people that are successful at, you know, grinding on that kind of shit, you don't hear about them for a reason. Yeah. Makes sense. Or the, but, uh, I was recently reminded of, there was that funny story, it was a zoo, I think, in England somewhere, where this guy just built a toll booth in the in this public parking lot next to a London zoo. Does this ring a bell at all? Mm-mm. So for this guy, for like 20 years just sat in this toll booth taking parking fees at this public parking lot that was next to a zoo. And then just one day he took his millions of dollars and retired and just left. And somebody called the zoo and was like, Hey, Bob's not here working the toll booth. What do we, what, what do we do? And they're like, who the fuck is Bob? We don't have a toll booth. We don't, we don't operate a toll booth. And yeah, I mean, what an enterprising young man. So how was this on the order of like years? Years. This guy was doing this? I want to say like 20 years. I can't fathom like something as big as a zoo in a bigger city and a lot that has like, I guess it's one of those things like it just makes sense. Like you drive by and like, oh, yeah, there's a like, yeah. How often would someone think to be like, hey, I wonder if this is lawful. Does he have the permits? That's so wild that you could just. Yep, going to work. I'll see you, see you f- for dinner, honey. You know, and he's like, "I'm going to work." My toll. Like, it's that's so insane. It's so brazen that you wouldn't even question it. You know, like, well, obviously this guy works for somebody. You know, he w- nobody would just erect a toll booth in a random parking lot. But that's like on a much smaller scale. That's like you know going to a concert or like some kind of like venue. And just like throwing on a hard hat and maybe a yellow vest or something that says event or security and walk in with like a clipboard and a fucking yep. ladder. Yep. Probably nine times out of 10. But yeah, that level of commitment for actually erecting something that yeah. exists out in the world that <laughs> you go and work at eight hours a day for 20 years. That's awesome. Yeah. Fuck. You could file that under like social engineering, which is kind of what you were talking about. Just 
convincing somebody just by like no normal person would just walk in here with a clipboard and a hard yeah. hat, you know. It's so far removed from what you th- would think first. You wouldn't even it's like yeah, it's like noticing an anthill. You might be like, "Oh, there's an anthill." And then you keep going, or if you're sadistic, you stomp it out. But either way, um, it's like it's so frivolous to you. That's awesome. Good for that guy. Fuck, man. Can I tell um, you just uh, one more quick card counting story that that sort yeah. of made me sort of made me think of? And I don't I don't think I told this one already. Uh, but if I did, feel free to cut me off. But I'm almost positive I didn't. I was at a casino <clears throat> that was actually scanning IDs at the front door, which normally for me is like a no-go. Um, and I was asking the guy, because there are uh, a lot of other casinos nearby that weren't doing that. I was like, mm-hmm. what's what's going on? Like, why, why are you guys doing this? And I had talked to the security guard a bunch over the few days I was there. And he was a super nice guy. And so we, we got along. And after like the second or third day of just like shooting the shit with him a little bit, I was like, what's the deal with these scanners? Like, I don't see anybody else around here doing that. And he, he basically said, um, yeah, we got in a lot of trouble for allowing minors to come in here and get blackout drunk. And it was a big problem. So now we have to sort of overcompensate and do, wow. do this deal. So um, the, the last day I was there, maybe the last two days, he didn't scan my ID because he's like, oh, yeah, it's you. I, I know you come on in, whatever. Right. Um, and so I was playing at a table and I had been playing at this casino every day for a week and just no attention at all. No problem. And I was camping. It was, it's what you pray for. If you're a card counter, it's just a place that seems rather clueless and Mm -hmm. not very busy. And the, and the game was pretty good. So I'm sitting there playing and I hear the guy come up behind me. And he's like, hey, Steve, got to talk to you. And I was like, fuck. You know, it finally it finally came, you know. Yeah. And I look up and the dealer's like, yeah, yeah, what's up? And his name tag says Steve. And I'm like, oh, yes, it's not over. And then he, the pit boss looks at me. He's like, no, I need to talk to you, Steve. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so, so I went from hap, like super bummed to glimmer of hope. Back to like, ah, oh, fuck. So uh, he pulls me away from the table. Super nice guy. Tells me whatever. Goes through the spiel. And so I ask we're him like. invite oh, you not to play anymore? Yeah, we're going to go ahead and invite you to get the fuck out. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. You guys are cool. Um, are they going to give me any problems at the cage? Which is kind of my go-to question. Because if he says right. no and they give me problems, I can go get him to be like, tell these fucking dipshits who make $9 an hour to just give me the goddamn money. You have right. no you have no legal standing to withhold it from me, so just do it. Anyway, so he's like, oh, no, no problem at all. So I go over to the cage, and they're like, we're not going to cash out this much money without your driver's license. And I was like, all right, be right back. And so I went and got Bill or whatever his name was. And I was like, hey, uh, you said they wouldn't give me any ca- give me any trouble at the cage. They're not cashing me out, and I know I don't have to provide my ID, so I need you to come over there and help me. And he's like, "Just give him your ID. We know we know who you are already." And in my mind, I'm like, "They haven't scanned my ID for like two days. They might know my first name, but how do they know? I don't think they know my name." So uh, he's like, "We already know who you are. Just give me your ID. It's not a big deal. We don't like. 
I asked him if they share information with anybody in town and he said no. So I was like, what's my last name? And so he's like, Ugh, and he pulls out this post-it out of his pocket and uh, without saying what my actual last name is, he said a name right. that was very, very, very close. So <laughs> like if your your last name is Gwanza, he pulled out this post-it and was like, I don't know, Quenza? I'm like, ah, fuck. All right, well. <laughs> yeah. So, you got me. Yeah, pretty much. Like, all right, well, <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be off then. So, yeah. <laughs> gave, him, gave him my ID and it, it, everything was fine. But that, that first little, like, Steve, I'm like, oh, oh, yes. No, fuck. Yeah. The herky jerk grinding gears. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. That sucks. Um, okay, so uh, back to the the croupier. I think they'll 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 come a couple more anecdote pieces as we work through this because I'm curious what your opinion was. But another thing I thought that foreshadowed to um, to this guy's uh, Clive Owen's like proclivities of like you know getting joy out of seeing people lose. Um, I thought it, when he's like getting ready, cause at the beginning he has this weird blonde hair. So it's, it's like a little mini montage. He's going, he's getting his haircut. He's getting his hair dyed. He's getting ready to like put on his suit and go out and, and deal. Uh, it was weird. I can't remember the first one. Like someone asked what he does or. Oh yeah. But, but the second one that like he's got now his hair is black and they're like trimming him up, shaving him. And the gal is like, uh, she's like, what, what's your line of work? What do you do? What do you do for a living love? He's like, I'm an undertaker. Yeah. And he has this really wry smile. And then later on, it's like, you know, kind of like the widow maker. Like he's like, yeah, I'm fucking taking these people out, you know, like dealing like a badass, you know, but, um, what did you think about the scene when the, uh, the, manager of the casino is like kind of like testing him to see if he can pass muster yeah. and he's like he's telling him uh you know count this many chips by sight like like uh-huh. that quick and he's like 1800 or whatever i was like damn that's fucking wild like the thin chips and like having that kind of awareness but then he's like then he's like what's and he's like dealing and he's like what's the count and he's all he's all minus nine and he's like i got minus eight and like <clears throat> so he is is yeah, that like going to show way off, the, the way off the, the deal? Way. He was. Yeah. Okay. Unless they're, unless well, they're but, using some bizarre ass count. The one I had was minus one and I, I, oh, rewound, okay. I rewound it again to make sure I didn't miss anything. But so does that mean that like at, at a certain level, they want the, um, the dealer to be counting along like counting cards along while they're playing, keeping everything together so they can, so they can try to pinpoint if someone else is counting too, or Uh, I mean in a perfect world. Yeah. You would love that. But I've, I've probably come across, I would say it's, it's far below 0.1% of dealers that I think can count and deal at the same time. I think it It was just super hard. Oh God. I mean, if you wanted to, you could do it because you're just you're dealing, practicing all day, every day. Right. Like you could do it because you kind of just go into autopilot. But most dealers don't; they just don't care. Um, yeah. And but wouldn't I think it be? It, I in- think it was more like a like a testing question because I bet most most dealers, if you're training them, 
maybe he could just tell how skilled he was by the way he was dealing. And when he's, he just decided to ask him, like, what do you have the count at or whatever? I could see a lot of dealers being like, what are you talking about? 15? Gotcha. You know, thinking he's talking about the cards, but like how many cards he's dealt? Yeah. 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 I thought that was, that was interesting. And it seemed too, I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. Wouldn't that be like your ideal, um, countermeasure to something mm-hmm. like that? But then it's like extra, it's like, you know, extrapolated on all the other variables and everything else that the dealer has to keep straight in his head. He yeah. or she's head. But then I was thinking, you know, like, yeah, why would they do that? They get, they probably don't get paid very well. Um, mm-hmm. but that would be a situation, you know, like what if you have like a VIP dealer or, you know, you have your like top shelf, you know, and you pay them more to be of a higher, higher caliber. It seems like that, um, it seems like that, that investment would be worth it to have like this upper echelon that you would reserve for certain situations or mm-hmm. table limits or something. Uh, that seemed like looking on the other side of the gate, it seems like that would be a really good countermeasure to have. Yeah. I mean, if, if I owned a casino, I would absolutely want my dealers to be able to know how to count. Yeah. I mean, in, unless, crazy. unless it, it takes so much of their concentration that they start making like payout errors or protocol errors or, you know, something like that. Cause it can be tough when you're first starting, but I bet there's a lot of burnout associated with that too. So maybe even yeah. if it was a good return on your investment, then you'd have to factor in like turnover and well, anyway, the, that's, and that's the, definitely the, getting off into a side tangent. The fucking customer base is awful, dude. Like customer service jobs are rough normally in general. Yeah. But in a casino, man, the amount of abuse these people take, I, yeah, I wasn't, I, I wasn't prepared for it. I mean, it, it's stupid. Like these people come in there willingly giving their money away and then they're pissed off at the dealer who's just standing there like, I'm doing my fucking job. Nobody's forcing you to be here. Yeah, I just work here, man. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of really stupid, irrational people. So Well you, yeah, that's you know that part I in, think of. in casino where Joe Pesci's losing, he's like fourteen fucking paints in a row and he's like throwing the cards at the dealer and like just being a total yeah. asshole. Yeah, super abusive. Give me a and, fucking marker. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anything quite that bad, but close <laughs> for sure. Um, okay. So I got, you touched on it too, a little bit and getting into kind of the, the psychological aspect of this movie, because I think it is kind of heady, uh, a film and the, I, the most interesting part to me is like when, because our main guy, Clive Owen, he's a writer and then he, he's like, I don't know if he has writer's block or he's just not writing and he's fallen to this world of casino, you know, work being a croupier. But then at some point he's like, this would make a good story. Like all the intrigue and kind of, and like he talks about like wanting to be, wanting to be, you know, a writer and peer into and insert himself into other people's imaginations and these kinds of things. And he's like this ultimate voyeur, like looking around, observing people at the casino, all these habits. And, and so he comes up with the bright idea of like writing himself as, you know, someone else with a different name into his book. And it kind of, it parallels the rest of the movie. So he, you know, he calls out like chapter three, this Mm -hmm. and like, and it grows as the movie goes along and it, it ties up pretty nicely too with, 
him like finishing his book. Um, but I thought it was interesting, like how he breaks down and that like he calls his character who is him as Jake. <laughs> yeah. And even his, his girlfriend at the time, she's like reading some of his work. He's like, why don't you just come out and say it? You're it's like Jake. He's like, that's not really a stretch. It's like this. So this is how you really think you're just like this fucking like, you know, yeah. like super like down on the human race, like despondent, like this is what you think of people. And I thought it was interesting to see how like that splitting of the mind, you know, and how he's like two different people. And he's like on one hand, and he even says it too, when um, the girlfriend Marion, she's like, she's like, Oh, I love you. And then the narrator part comes in. He's like, he's like, and I only half loved her. And she knew mm-hmm. that. And like, I like that, that dynamic of using the narrator as kind of like his other mm-hmm. self, his real self, some would say, uh, and they, how they interspersed it throughout the film. Uh, I really like that a lot. Um, I did too. This kind of like struggle. I don't know if struggle is the right word, but, um, cause I think he knows that rightfully so, like, because right when he gets back into being a croupier, it's like this addict, it's an addiction kind of thing. It's like a, an addictive thing about his personality. He knows that and he's getting into it. Like, seeing people lose. He's, he comes out and says that like he, he derives joy from that. Um, and I thought one point of levity too that fucko Matt, uh, who he's buddies with, or he pals yeah. around with at the beginning, who's a fellow dealer. Who's like clearly like skimming off the top and he's just a slime ball, uh, dealer. Uh, but they're talking about something at like one of these after parties and, and our guy, Jack, he quotes Hemingway cause he's a writer oh, to yeah. Him. Yeah. and he's all the world breaks everyone and summers and afterwards some are strong at the broken parts. He's like, uh-huh. that's Hemingway. And then that dude, Matt's all, we'll need to do the shot himself. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a quick, like little glance where like Clive Vaughn's like, yeah, he did. Like, yeah, <laughs> he fucking walks off. Like, uh, that part gave me a nice yeah. chuckle. That was a great line and a great comeback. <laughs> it's like, oh, you mean the guy who killed himself is talking about like strength and, and mental resilience? Hmm, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. So I guess so. He's doing this, and like, there's that we- yeah, that weird part with that Bella gal, and they fuck in blood. Like he's all yeah. bloody, and and she's like fucking making out with her, like hardcore and they they get in this really weird fuck session covered in blood um she looks traumatized too like sitting up in the bed having a cigarette passing him the the smoke and it, it, yeah it made me feel kind of dirty uh, yeah she bit. was a weird she was a weird character i don't know if it was just visually yeah. or what but even at the beginning when they're just in the same little changing room and she goes tits out for Harambe without knowing who this guy is <laughs> right next to her. her like, yeah, okay, this chick's a little nutty for sure. I I thought that too. And then I was like, well, I know people in Europe and shit, you know, that's more old world and they have way less <laughs> hangups about our puritanical based, you know, like us, like it's it, just, that's just not allowed, you know, is it not allowed. French girls don't shave their pits. <laughs> Some don't, but they, they got, got new beaches. beaches. <laughs> Not in the winter. Uh, um, yeah, I thought that I was like, yeah, 
European style. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a fair point. I hadn't thought about because uh, when I was in the the shithole dump city of Paris, briefly, <laughs> there they had like tits on newspapers, like on the front page. That's awesome. Like, wow. Don't they do that? Is that is, isn't that Canada as well? They have like nude, like the the weather women on like some channels, or is that a different country? They come out just like in like a, a skirt and just tits um, out, and they they're given the weather like. I don't recognize the, the existence of Canada, so I'm not sure. But okay. um, no, I don't. I don't. Or know. is that just my dream from last night? I don't know. Um, I think that's just your Pornhub browsing history. <laughs> weather women. <laughs> Got a strong front coming up from the southeast. You do like um, you do like weather. And then our our gal Yanni is that what her name was? Yanni. Yeah, yeah. She goes tits out later on, and that scene that scene I was like, okay, so we're fucking right now yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't happen. I was like, dude, this guy's like, he's he's got some yeah, mental I, fortitude or something, dude. I would have been all I would have eating her asshole that night for sure she's so fine and she's just got tits out and they're just sleeping in bed and he's like good night and he rolls over and turns out the light no way yeah well i think he might have thought something was up because when she's telling him about like her backers or or whatever who are planning this uh robbery he's like did they tell you to sleep with me like he was kind of suspicious of her motives maybe yeah um, and that was kind of one of my bit probably my biggest i wouldn't even say critique or complain about the movie but the the robbery of the casino is kind of like the main thing or it could be one right. of them but it was so short and unclear like i wasn't even sure what was happening I, yeah me I, too I, they could have they could have made the robbery like the focal point of the entire movie and really kind of played it up, you know, like an oceans 11 type thing. Yeah. But that's what I thought they were going to do. And it was really an afterthought. Yeah. The whole, the scene was like really quick and didn't know what the fuck was happening. And one other thing that bugged me was Marion. She, she hears a voicemail from Yanni, which if you're, if you're living with a woman and you're conspiring with another woman about uh, a robbery, might yeah, want to tell her line. not to leave a voicemail that's super cryptic, um, which apparently Marion was able to decipher from, hey, tomorrow it's on the 24th. She calls the cops and says, hey, I think they're going to rob the casino tomorrow night. Like, how the fuck do you make that connection? Did I miss something? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I didn't like that. I didn't really infer that that's what she had done either. But now that you say that, I mean, they were pretty like they were on it like like shit to a blanket once well, that, the, the shit popped off at the casino. Like the cop, the cop later is like, she called me and said that they were planning on robbing the casino. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. That's right. And that's another weird little side tangent. Cause after Clive Owen fucks Bella uh-huh. or shortly thereafter, uh, he's like coming out of like, he's coming out on the city streets and he just happens to see his old gal, Marion, who like seems real straight laced and like, you know, professional woman and like, and she's walking down the street, making out with some dude like that looks like a businessman down this busy street. Um, I was like, what the fuck is that? And I wasn't even sure until that dude was like, you know, I loved her. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, okay. That is the same dude. 
Because why is like, he coming in giving Clive Owen shit? Like, I think they put that in there on purpose to be like, I'm the same guy from earlier in case, in case you weren't sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like all the way up until he said that I was, I was unsure. I was like, was that the same guy mm-hmm. kind of look like him? But, um, same here. Yeah. Well, and, I guess and, that's and, a good point. He, she had like a direct line to the inside there. Well, and then they're like, uh, Marion's dead. I'm like what? <laughs> yeah. Th- that's the biggest part. I was, I meant to go back and try and look and like, was that somehow related to like the botched? Was that like a reprisal for the botched uh, robbery of the casino? But then well, at the very end, it makes it seem like no, because everything went the way it was supposed to go. I guess. Yeah, I'm not I didn't, sure. I didn't like that uncertainty. Uh, yeah, and I how know. like Clive Owen? I know he didn't like really love that chick, but there were points, you know, where it shows he's conflicted. But yeah, then she's like she's dead he's just like okay yeah tomorrow's uh, friday like he hit, just hit by a car uh it could be revenge and like uh or it could be a drunk driver like well those, those are very very different um I, and i thought it was weird when when they're in the casino the night of the robbery and like leading up to the moment they kept focusing on different people which there were there were so many people they were focusing in on. I was like, ah, who the fuck is this guy? Is this guy important? And then they would like go to somebody else. I'm like, oh, this this guy's part of it. And and then it was over so fast. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Like who did what? Or I didn't yeah, even you know. See, like you see I a cage come open. There's a gunshot, and then it's like over. I didn't even know the robbery was unsuccessful until later. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's how ambiguous it was to me, but. Uh, yeah, the yeah. parties behind that heist are like, I, it doesn't make sense. Because then there's also, too, um, Clive Owen gets the $10,000 advance for participating mm-hmm. uh, in this heist thing. And he wraps it up in tinfoil and sh- wedges it between the oven or dishwasher. Smart. Very in the smart. F- in the flat. Uh, and his old lady, Marion, finds it. And then you don't know what happens with the 10 grand after that at all. There's nothing spoken about it. Yeah. Um, but then it all turns up roses for our boy Clive Owen because, oh yeah, the book that he's been writing while he's going through this weird, like t- his time as being a croupier. It's like, oh yeah, I finished this and it's a bestseller. Now I'm rich. And like, so everything's cool. It's like, fuck that $10,000, whatever happened to that. It's mm-hmm. like, and then, so I guess we'll just get right into the end too. So like this shit goes down and then his old lady's dead and then life goes on. He writes a book. It's a bestseller. He's cool. He's wearing this really stupid fucking hat. It makes him, and he's got suspenders and a button up. I was like, is he Amish? What's going Dude, on here? The Amish hat was bugging me the entire time. Yeah. I did not like it at all. Um, but then he gets a phone call from, um, Yanni, who like, she just fucking disappears. Um, and she's all happy. She's in South Africa and then boom, boom, boom. She hands the phone over to, uh, Clive Owen's dad from the beginning who was actually like a mastermind. Like he was like, 
this is what my impression was like he was 10 steps ahead of everything like at the very outset of like of Clive Owen getting this job like that like he knew he had plans for this and inserting him in this position and playing this long game this the long con with uh <laughs> with with Yanni but it didn't really like you were saying like it didn't really hit me like the way I wanted it to hit me like oh wow like uh-huh. it was just like oh that's an kind of an interesting little turn but it didn't have a lot of impact i guess for me but i liked the journey overall a to b and like him kind of talking narrating his head and kind of just going through all of these events i don't know it is an odd movie the style of it was really fucking cool i liked it a lot yeah there was just i felt like the, the story was lacking a little bit only because I felt like, like I said already, there was so much potential to make it super badass. I, I just felt like they came up a little bit short, but uh, I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, another point at the beginning too, I made note of it was like, like he's kind of philosophizing a little bit, he, and he's talking about, um, you know, you have to make a choice in life. You're either a gambler or a croupier, you know, and like, I know it's. You know, it's not that black and white of like who you are in the world, but it's like, are you a cheat or do you play it straight? But then within that, it shows, you know, like there's all kinds of shades of gray in between that too, because he's this croupier who like, he's like, wants to play it super straight. Even he rats out that dude, Matt, who's fucking skimming, gets him fired. But then, you know, shit happens and he and. Oh yeah, I guess they didn't show Matt getting fired, but yeah, because he he went and told the boss. Yeah, yeah because okay. he he thinks that Bella, because he sees him later on, that Matt guy. He's like, yeah, Bella took me to the shops or whatever. Uh, and see, yeah, okay, yeah. so this is my this is my other question too. It's like so at the very end, yeah, Clive Owen's dad's like, yeah, everything's great, we got the deal, or I don't know, that part's really weird. But then. Clive Owen gets off the phone and then turns and then like here's footsteps coming up behind and then it's like oh it's Bella and it's yeah. like okay wait I haven't had like I just watched this this morning you just watched this like a few hours before we recorded but I was trying to think like okay well then was Clive Owen actually in the driver's seat of all this from the very beginning like like he was on to his dad like encouraging him to go back and get this croupier job like oh he's gonna get me into something and like he was like he had this bella gal off the side the whole time i'm not following well it seems like i don't know i I think the impression i I got from i thought he just like reunited with her after all everything was said and done yeah part of me was thinking oh it's just that like he just like i mean yeah his girlfriend marion's dead that Yanni guy who it seemed or gal seemed like he maybe was into like he was intrigued by her for sure. Yeah. She's off the table and it wasn't just like, Oh yeah, there's this Bella gal we fucked in blood and she's pretty good in the sack. Like maybe like they're just together now. But part of me made me like, I, I was thinking there was more to it. I just, I, and I still can't wrap my head around it. Like were they in on something too? Was Was there any scene more unnecessary in this movie than the one where 
he meets the the gal who's like i'm a witch and then they're driving together and he like grabs the wheel when she almost hits the pedestrian and then there's like no more mention of her at all like what the fuck was that <laughs> that was yeah I it's don't like know. we're at 88 minutes and they're like we've we got we need three more we just got to add another scene in here yeah i don't know the the only thing i could tie that back to was when he someone was talking about how how good his hands were with dealing work and, and he's like the hands of a conjurer or a card sharp you know like i don't know uh, maybe they were trying to tie back into that maybe during his time in south africa like he got into some shit i don't know i, I did like the part where yanni's like are you into astrology and he's like absolutely fucking not but i am a gemini and we don't believe in astrology i thought that yeah. was yeah <laughs> That was a good line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I was most shocked when like like they go to that dude's house for like the weekend or whatever, his chateau yeah. or whatever. And uh like she just walks in all nonchalant, like he's getting his like his jammies on and she just strips and she's got like a nice natural rack but i was like oh yeah this shit's going down and then she puts her pajamas on and then they just they get into bed and they turn the other way i was like dude no way i would have ravaged that woman she (laughs) wanted it dude she was so fine yeah i don't know what it is about that that tight curly hair just like her whole like vibe um i thought the other interesting part when it shows like clive owens onto her Cause like before she's like, Oh, I got a black eye and like my fucking uh-huh. wrist is all fucked up. And then like the next day or like the next morning or something, he goes to like check in on her and like the wrist bandage is gone. And like her shiner is completely gone. He's like, yeah, that went away pretty quickly. Like mm-hmm. it was like blatantly, like he's clearly onto you. Yeah. Which was even weirder. Why it's like, why would you go along with helping her then? Like what, what is your thing about helping her? If you're not trying to, you're you're not trying to bone you had perfect opportunity like what is the draw to this person that's why it made me think like maybe he had some inside shit via that bella gal onto what she was doing and then like maybe he had some intuition or an inkling about like his dad trying to set him up or putting him in this position that's where it kind of like that's what made me think that because too like when bella gets fired or whatever it clearly she thinks that like all that seemed like an act to me because she thinks that clive owen ratted her out did this and that when he didn't and she comes and makes a show of it to his girlfriend like yeah he fucked me he smoked my weed made me smoke weed and then told and ratted me out and then it later on it makes it seem like that matt dude was like uh Maybe like an, it's an act of revenge for him getting ratted out by Clive Owen that he did something to her, or I don't know that that's a, that's a spiral, but it, it's possible. I mean, yeah, I guess it's very possible. I didn't I didn't pick up on that at all, but because otherwise, like at the very end, why would you show her? Like, why would you include that in the movie? Like, bring her back? Like, it it see unless there was they were trying to say something. Or be like, oh, there's this. Why would you even include her? You'd just have Clive Owen like, oh, yeah, your dad was behind this the whole fucking time. Or he had this weird thing going on. Click. Roll credits. Maybe it could be. And this this is not, hopefully not going to be too, like, 
sniffing your own farts, but there was that there was that moment where he was working the roulette table and that obvious degenerate gambler comes in who's like sweating, freaking out, trying to decide yeah. what to gamble on, and he helps him, right? He scoots his chip over from what right. would have been a losing bet to a winning bet and pays him like, hey, here you go, buddy. I'm going to do you a solid. And then the guy walks away, and there's that internal monologue where he's like, and yep, no, nothing's going to change because the guy turns around and comes back. And even though he was just given this gift, he's like, I'm going to gamble more. So that yeah. that might have tipped him over the edge of, I had a little faith in humanity left over, and that just destroyed the rest of it because the, the Bella gal was, she was like super cynical, like this place is a fucking shithole or cesspool or whatever she said. So maybe... Cesspit. Yeah, maybe uh, them <clears throat> getting together in the end was like... Well, because in the right before that is when he does that sort of wink and the nod to the camera, like, "Yep, I just love fucking these players over." Yeah. And then, and then she's there too, like maybe that's trying to further the point of, yeah, now he has fully joined the camp of cynical asshole, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that's a fair point too. I mean, that makes sense too. Um. Yeah, I, I think that's about it on uh, the croupier. Uh, I liked it too, for the record. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, think I guess I should I, have asked what you thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I alluded to it earlier. I think the the payoff for me uh, leaves me a little bit wanting, but um, as a whole, I like the journey. It feels like a almost kind of like a, uh, a film noir kind of aspects to it. I mean, you have the femme fatale in Yanni who she's not like a true, like really like there aren't really stakes there established. I didn't think, um, but she fits the bill for a femme fatale. Um, maybe a neo-noir as it were. Stop speaking uh, <laughs> French. <laughs> um, I looked up, I think it was, IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes, and it was like, oh, it must have been Rotten Tomatoes because it was critic and audience. The critic score, I think, was 95, and the audience was 78. And I thought, uh-huh. like, that's that's pretty perfect. I could see why this would be a critical darling, darling. like yeah. stylistically or whatever. And I could also see where it would be a little bit lower for the for the dummies like me watching at home. Uh, one thing I will I still say... Think- I think high 70s for Rotten Tomato score for audiences is still pretty good. Yeah. Well, on IMDb, it seems like everything is between a 7-1 and a 7-4. Yeah, it's very, very hard. (laughs) It's like Shawshank. It's like you Uh have to be shank level to to get into like high 8s, like 9s. I will make one quick recommendation if anybody's curious about this type of thing. There's a book out there. uh, It's written by a... Let's see. He used to work in a Vegas casino as a pit boss or like floor supervisor or shift manager or, or one of those uh, ambiguous titles that you're not exactly sure what they do, but it's in, in like middle management who uh, became a card counter. And it, it's an interesting look at the duality of he used to work for the casino and now he works as a card counter. Uh, it's called the Blackjack insiders 
and it's written by a guy named Andy Ewell, which is Andrew, last name Ewell, U-Y-A-L. Um, it's a good book. It's an easy read. I actually uh, got to meet him in real life, and super nice guy. So huh. if, if, if you're at all curious about the, the differences between going from one side of the table to the other, I would, I would recommend that book. So, yeah, that sounds super interesting. There was a book that that dude, uh, uh, Clive Owen checks out at the bookstore. I was wondering if that jumped out to you by John yeah. Scarn. Yeah. Is that a notable in that it, world as well? Yeah. yeah. Scarn on cards. Yeah. I think he was more of the, the mechanic type of guy. I, gotcha. I could, I could be wrong. But I think it is either like card manipulation or I could be wrong, but gotcha. All right. Yeah. There's not a ton of trivia on this, on this movie. Um, I, I think probably the most poignant uh, is that both the gal who played Bella and Clive Owen um, <clears throat> and the other background uh, croupiers, croupiers in the movie were actually trained by professional croupiers. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I could buy that. I don't um, even remember them showing Bella dealing. Yeah, I think there was a couple scenes, but they were real brief. It was like he came and tapped on her shoulder. I was like, uh, Dela? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it wasn't extensive. I mean, but... he looked pretty slick with his dealing. Uh, anybody, uh, if anybody is a, a recreational or professional or whatever blackjack player, you may notice that in Europe they deal a little bit differently where they deal one card to each player and then a dealer card and then the second card to each player, but the dealer does not take a second card, which is unusual. In they, blackjack, you're uh-huh, talking? Yeah, they refer to it as European no-hole card or ENHC which changes the rules a little bit. And uh, like there, there's one part where a a player doubles an 11 against uh, I think a 10, a dealer 10. And then when he does take his whole card, it's an ace for a blackjack and he takes both bets. And as far as I understand in, in no whole card blackjack, if you double down, you only lose your original bet. Right. So that might that might be too far into the weeds, but I just thought that was interesting to maybe the the casual blackjack player that they notice like wait what the fuck the dealer only has one card because they it don't deal the didn't really they don't deal the second card me. until all the action for the players is completed. Right. So does that? I guess my philistine question would be how does does that change significantly? Like when if you be counting that game? No, it, it, it does to, right. No, it wouldn't change if you're counting. It just changes the rules and the house edge a little bit because like one of the one of the big advantages you have as a card counter, big in quotes, is knowing when and when not to take insurance. So right. if the dealer doesn't have a whole card, you don't have that opportunity, as far as I understand. I've never played in Europe, but if the dealer doesn't have a whole card, they're not going to be checking for blackjack before the action is completed. So yeah, uh, it, it, it would change the, the action a little differently, but 
I don't know enough about the rules to say for sure, but. All right. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, that'll do it for uh, Croupier. I know this is kind of one that's, this is one that surprisingly in its native UK where it was um, released, it got a really shitty reception and pretty much just bombed and didn't have, didn't find an audience at all. I guess this was actually, this was made in 1998. So that's what I'm running with, but it wasn't, officially released it, it was shelved until the year 2000 um but the official re- release date is 98 because it went on some um uh like cinema festival circuits and things like that it was actually it was it was going to be nominated for an academy award but it was shown on dutch television somehow um like formally through a like a network and so i guess that right there is like a a strike against it. Like it, it couldn't have been released other anywhere other than like a theater venue, uh, to be classified, um, what if, nominated, but what if the like film studio or producers had nothing to do with it? It seems kind of shitty to punish them. If like a Dutch TV company, they must, got all- they must have re- signed off on it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I, mean, I can see them being like a- throwing up their hands, like, Hey, I didn't. And appealing like, Hey, we, they, this was like pirated or bootlegged and they threw it on. I could see them like the Academy, like understanding that and like giving them a pass. So my, maybe not, maybe it's just like, yeah, well, sorry it happened. So fuck you. But, uh, I could see them being like official about it. If it was yeah. like, well, yeah, I you think- signed off, you let them fucking do it. So you broke the rules. Sorry. I think you're right. Because, I mean, as far as I know, they send out screeners for movies that are eligible for Oscars and shit. So if you just right. gave one to somebody in Belarus to put on TV, it's like, oh, now you're ineligible. Like, well, no, that's not exactly fair. Yeah. Yeah. So they must have. Yeah. They must have been like. Kind of official. Let's see how it goes. I wonder if any of the, the main actors are. You said Belgium? Is that what you said? Um, no, this was released in the UK. No, no, no. Where the reason they got disqualified is because it was played on it. Is it, was it Belgium? Like uh, it said station? Dutch, it said Dutch TV. So that, what is that? That's uh, okay. Amsterdam, Holland. Yeah. yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Disqualified from the Academy Awards after being shown on Dutch television. So. Wow. 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 Um, that episode of Friends where he's like, "Where do Dutch people come from? <laughs> Is it the Netherlands?" Like, nice try. That's where Captain Hook and Peter Pan are. <laughs> Damn, that's a deep cut. I saw one the other day that made me just fucking laugh. It, when I, I can't remember what it was, but uh, Ross gets up, he like realizes he's like, "My fajitas." Oh yeah, I'm fine. That's a that's a that's a good one. I'm gonna make margaritas. Yeah. Or when he comes out, my fajitas. When he comes out holding the steaming or uh, sizzling plate, and they're like, "Ross, you need potholders." Like, oh, that's gonna hurt tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. 
All right. Uh, so yeah, that was interesting. Um, uh, let us know if you, has anyone ever seen croupier? Uh, if not, I think that's a solid recommend, uh, from us, uh, check it out. Um, shoot us an email, uh, about this or anything under the sun, uh, at wax at waxing the porpoise.com. Uh, or you can check us out on either of our socials. Uh, Instagram is waxing the porpoise and Twitter at waxing the porp. Um, Let's see. Next week. Uh, Tell your friends. Yeah. Yeah. Leave us a, we've gotten some, some good reviews uh, recently. Let's, uh, if you, if you guys are so inclined, um, wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us a rating or review. Tell us what you think. Um, we appreciate all the positive feedback and, and all the love that's come our way uh, thus far and uh, appreciate you. Uh, we do. Ha- I, I have a couple housekeeping notes, one of which is uh, so teaser next week. We do have lockdown. We're going to be having um, Hyderberg, my buddy uh, Nick from the a cut above horror review uh, and uh, fellow uh, fan of the straight chilling uh, community. He will be on next week. We're going to be discussing another flick from 1998. Uh, coincidentally, uh, Fallen, starring our guy Denzel Washington. So I'll definitely have uh, a banger Denzel devotional queued up for that one. Uh, also starring Elias Coteas, aka Casey Jones from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You may have recognize him from he's also in the thin red line nope no idea okay i think when you see him you'd be like oh yeah it's this guy um i I may have seen the original ninja turtles uh when i was younger is is that the um let's see what's the one with bebop and rocksteady is that the second one no they have like stand-ins for those they have um fuck what do they call them toka and reza are in the second one. It's like the snapping turtle and like the wolf thing. They yeah. didn't, I don't think they had the rights or they didn't, they didn't want to use those side villains. They didn't come out with them until the fucking Michael Bay abominations in like the, like 2014, the all the CGI Ninja Turtle shit. Like they, they did like, they basically, it was like transformers, Ninja Turtles. Okay, so I'm I'm a little bit confused because I remember I must have been seven or eight. So what would that be like? Ninety four or ninety five, ninety three, watching a Ninja Turtles movie with Bebop and Rocksteady. That was live action. It wasn't animated. I th- you're thinking of to- I think you're thinking of Toka and Rezar that are in the second one, which came out in 92, maybe 93. They were basically stand-ins for Bebop and Rocksteady. No okay. live action has had Bebop and Rocksteady in them. Okay. That's one of my earliest childhood nightmares that I can remember. How fun. Of Bebop and Rocksteady? Yeah, chasing me around my childhood <laughs> home uh, kitchen table. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't include them in the movies for whatever reason. I think it was maybe a rights thing, or maybe they just thought they were too buffoonish to include in the movie. But at any rate, um, 
John Goodman's also in Fallen. Have you, ever, you have you ever seen Fallen? I don't think you have. No, no. Okay. It's kind of I I would say it's horror adjacent, but it's more like a it's it's more like a thriller crime with like some supernatural elements, like more along the lines of like uh, Mothman prophecies. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like on that wavelength, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It, it'll it'll be fun. But yeah, join us next week. We'll have Hydroberg on. He'll have some. I'm sure he'll have some hot takes, some hot cakes, and um. Oh, also, quick uh, little promo here. Uh, I was just recently on um, Straight Chilling. Is they're doing like a side uh, uh, venture called I think it's called Creature Comforts. Uh, and so they, their main podcast, they specifically center on horror review. So horror film straight up. And one of the co-hosts, uh, Justin Soju has started doing, he did one with Hyderberg actually already with, um, Marvel Disney's werewolf by night. So he's, they're trying to get into like more horror adjacent, like action kind of properties kind of all over the map, just not, not to be pigeonholed in, like straight strictly horror reviews. And these, these won't be, uh, these are just video, um, kind of mini episodes that run like an hour long hour and a half, but that'll be releasing on their YouTube on, what is it? Monday, I believe. Yeah. Monday, the 21st, it should be out on, you can find that at their YouTube is youtube.com forward slash at straight chilling podcast. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate enough to uh, to join them when we talked about Batman Returns from '92. Um, it was a really fun discussion. I appreciate uh, those guys, especially Justin, for having me on. Uh, I thought we had a really good discussion. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, by the time this releases this episode, um, it'll already have been out for a few days. But yeah, check that out. That'll be on their their socials. Um, and thanks again, again, uh, for having us on, um, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't think so. My, uh, jury service was unsuccessful this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Did they, did you, did you go in and went in. sit in the box? No, we went in, uh, we everyone was supposed to report at eight 30. I got there at like eight ten cause I hate being fucking late and just, yeah. sitting around so got there at like eight ten. went through security and everything stood around and then around eight twenty, one of the sheriffs who was doing security was like hey you guys are good to go home they settled the case bye <laughs> so nice i was a little i was a i had mixed feelings i wouldn't have oh minded, really yeah I'm, i wouldn't have minded doing it well my thought was like I'd like to get in there and see what the case was. If it was like somebody who was obviously guilty and not an interesting case, like I don't want to deal with this shit. But if it was right. like a, like a cool murder case that sounded interesting, like yeah, fuck it, why not? Who cares? So. Yeah, I could definitely see the beat on that side of things being interesting and and worthwhile, but Yeah. Yeah, especially in that region where you're at. I'm I'm sure that that kind of thing's pretty far and few between, you know. Yeah. That you'd actually get past all the stage gates to like like oh yeah, you're going to be a juror. 
and it's something like interesting and like, you know, like that you maybe enjoy is not the right word, but, um, that you would get something, something out interesting. of interesting intrigued yeah. by. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine like, well, maybe it's different too. Cause if you lived in a bigger, like Metro area, like the chances for something interesting rise, but then you're in a pool of fucking way more people. So it's, it's all relative at the end of the day, I guess. But yeah. Any hoozles. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, gang, for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you back next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. (laughs)